Hi, this is Haley Mitsui, the Director of Formation for Global Immersion. We know that it has been a roller coaster of a year, and we are so grateful for the opportunity that we've had to get to walk together in the midst of it. And despite or even perhaps because of the pandemic, we've actually been able to accomplish some pretty incredible things together this year. More than 100,000 people have participated in our virtual trainings, far more than we would have been able to reach if we were only doing in-person trainings and workshops and immersion trips. Like many of you are now turning our gaze to 2021. We've talked to people every day who are experiencing deep relational divides and pastors who are navigating fractured congregations. It's clear that the wounds in our homes, communities, churches, and country are nowhere near being healed. We believe that the way toward peace is you. You partnering with God in your homes, communities, and churches to bring holistic repair to these fractured relationships. In 2021, we are committed to training you to move toward conflict, not with weapons to win, but with tools to transform. We are able to offer this podcast, our webinars, our daily contemplative gatherings, and so many other trainings for free only because of our monthly donors. If this is a mission that you believe in, we're asking that you sign up to give $10 a month today. Just $10 a month will help the Global Immersion Team reach more people, train more peacemakers, and mend more divides in our fractured communities. Help us get to 50 monthly donors by the end of January. Go to globalimmerse.org and click on the link on our homepage to become a monthly donor and to learn more about this monthly giving community and the gifts that you get for signing up today. Thanks. Everyday peacemakers are not professional humanitarians. We're everyday people who are learning to see God and ourselves and others. We're daring to step off the road of comfort and immerse into reality. In the face of injustice, conflict, and violence, we are choosing to contend, not by getting even, but by getting creative in love. Everyday peacemakers are everyday people who are embedded within a world divided by difference, and these are our stories. Welcome to Everyday Peacemaking, a global immersion podcast hosted by Haley Mitsui, Jer Swigert, and myself, John Huckins. And as always, we're going to jump into the conversation with a question of the week. Welcome, everyone. I'm Haley Mitsui, the Director of Formation uh, for Global Immersion. And as always, I'm joined by my two co-hosts and the two co-founding directors of Global Immersion, John Huckins and Jer Swigart. <laughs> and we're going to be starting uh, this, this episode here, as always, with our question of the week. And you know, this one, this one, I'm just actually very personally curious to hear the answers to this one. Have you ever been mistaken for someone famous? John, do you want to kick us off? Do you have one? John Huckins here. Uh, <laughs> yeah, this one's actually really easy for me uh, because for some reason it was uh, providentially put in place that I would break my nose myriad times in my youth. <laughs> and so anyone that you can't see my face, but if you did see my face, you'd notice I have a significantly crooked nose. <laughs> the profile uh, is unmistakable. And there's, uh, 
a a film star named Owen Wilson. That's it, man. That's uh, it. And a good portion of my life, I've had long hair that parted actually down the middle at one point, and it was carbon copy <laughs> hair shrug. <laughs> like, oh gosh, middle part. Uh, he doesn't like parts in general, so he <laughs> sent him crawling. Yeah, middle part. It's, it was a bold move there early. <laughs> but it was a, it was an Owen Wilson look like, and I have so many memories of of people leading out with that connection. But one most explicit was I was at the bank, and at the time I worked at Gary's Tuck Shop. Um, I I designed <laughs> wedding. I just your life, your life is one gigantic cartoon, man. I would literally fit fit grooms in their bride their groomsmen four tuxes and help the brides pick out their primary colors. Anyway, I was in charge of the cash bag, and I would take it to the back of the Vons because that's where the Bank of America was. And I walked in. And all the tellers are chuckling. I mean, they're just chuckling. And I decided to go to one. And she says, uh, does anyone ever say that you look like Owen Wilson? And then all the other checkers just start laughing at me. And I say, yes, I've heard that. Thank you very much. <laughs> okay, what about you, Jer? Do you get celebrity lookalikes? Uh, well, thanks for asking, Hales. <laughs> uh well, my cartoon character would be Shaggy from Scooby-Doo, oh, um, especially wow. especially back way back in the day when I had a youth pastor goatee, a <laughs> uh, little scraggly goatee, and um, you know, and, and when I when I've done the doppelganger gigs with my hair up, uh, for those of you who don't know, I have a unique hairstyle that usually goes up and kind of spiky. Uh, I regularly score as Val Kilmer in Top Gun era or Drago from Rocky Four. Wow. These are all people I don't know. I see Val. So bad. I I'm definitely so see Val celebrities. And Iceman on Top Gun. That's what I'm most fired up about, honestly. Yeah, you should feel pretty good yeah. about that. Hales, how about you? I really don't have one. Um when I was in high school, this one guy in high school always called me Jackie because he thought I looked like Jackie from that 70s show, which is Mila Kunis, who I don't think I look like. And, uh, but you know, I don't, I feel like it was quite a few years ago that it was, there was like this doppelganger website and you would like put your picture in and it would give you like your celebrity mm -hmm. doppelganger. Mine was Sean Lennon who is a man, um, but he is John Lennon and Yoko Ono's child, Ooh. which actually is kind of crazy, which would make him half Japanese, half white, which I also am half Japanese, half white. I think that's pretty much where our similarities end. But when people ask my doppelganger, I usually go with Sean Lennon because I, I like that. It's funny. All right. Well, I actually have a second question of the week because uh, we are closing out 2020, which I feel that we have spoken about many times on this season of the podcast has been, you know, a year for the books. So I'm curious, looking back on these last 12 months, like, could you, if you had to use one word to describe 2020, what would it be? And do you want us to explain our one word or do you just want us to say one word? You know, I would like us to just say the one word and then we can go back and expand on it. But just one word to start with. I want to say complicated, but then I might also say troubling. 
finally fragile. So by one, we mean four. By, by one, no. By one, if you can put the what's the word that encamp, it, it captures those three? Okay, I know. I, I feel like I could also give a million words, but the first one that comes to mind is overwhelming. Mm. What about you, John? My word would be exposing. All right. Yeah. Unpack that one a yeah, little say, bit. Yeah. Say some more. Yeah. Exposing in that. 2020 has been disorienting in so many ways. And I feel like all of our lives have been touched in some very tangible way, probably more tangible than most years where there's systemic brokenness under underway. But exposing in that, I feel like this has been a year of many of the symptoms that we have, ex we have been cultivating as part of our societal diseases for so long, just crept to the surface, exposing around the racism that's been baked into our bones for hundreds of years exposed itself in some very visceral ways that brought attention to, to realities that many people already were very aware of, but many of us had turned a blind eye to. I mean, exposing in that we are far more interdependent than we'd like to say. With this pandemic, we see that we are completely connected across this globe but we live in our silos. We have our aspirations individually that have kept us from one another. And the way that we are, our flourishing is, is connected. So it's exposed our addiction to individualism. I feel like it's exposed the, the sharp partisan divides in this country that have been growing year after year that are rooted in some of the other diseases I mentioned a minute ago, you know, around racism, around our proximity to power and the way that we've marbled that in with our Christian faith and nationalism. So I feel like this is the year where it's like things are being stripped back and we're seeing the layers below the bark. Like if we're looking at a tree metaphor, we're, we've peeled some bark back and we're seeing the layers that have been growing in there over year after year. Uh, and now we're having to, to tend to it and to face it. And I think in some ways it's really good and cathartic. And I think in other ways it's been really, really hard and tragic. What about you, Hales? Why don't you offer some more commentary on your word? I identify as a relatively high capacity person, but I feel like more times in this year than any other year that I can remember, I've like hit that, found myself hitting up against that capacity. And it's so it's just been like time and time again, I'm I feel a level of like paralyzing overwhelm that I have never experienced before. And I think it was just the compounding nature of 2020. It was like I or at least from from my vantage point, I can see how each of these cycles of of disorientation have informed the next one like kind of what john said like we're peeling back these layers of exposure that are painful and so it just felt like you know the pandemic and we hit this this i hit this kind of threshold and and then with all of the 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 killings like hitting this threshold and then people dying from covid hitting this threshold and personal uh, like personal um, things that have been going on in, in our lives, in my life, like hitting this threshold. And it just felt like over and over, I'm hitting my head on this ceiling of 
capacity and and overwhelm um this compounding nature in a way that i've never experienced before mm. yeah listening to you both i i think i would refine my word to divided you know i i think this in 2020 we've recognized uh, and i remember we we anticipated this right at the onset of of the pandemic that all of the divides that already exist would be exacerbated. They'd, they'd probably grow, that conflict would increase, that, um, that uh, past pain, if not tended to well, would, um, would turn into a more severe ailment, uh, especially interpersonally. And I'm just reflecting right now on some of the conversations that I've been a part of or even overheard um, where people, you know, you have a, you have a anti-masker uh, in conversation with someone who's trying to be very cautious around COVID and, um, and they are, it's, it's a relationship that's divided. Like the divide is real. You have a conservative and, and a, and a liberal, uh, are divided on, um, even the elections outcome and, and how that went about. You have people within faith communities who are divided by theology right now, you know, and, um, we're watching the, the socioeconomic divide, grow because of this pandemic so divides and i think the word divide is or divides divided is something that is maybe the most oft-repeated phrase that i heard throughout the election commentary as well and um i think it exposes that we are um we are standing uh far apart from people especially people who are different than us in this moment in time um i, I wonder I, I wonder if we could actually spend a few minutes together as a team and, 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 um, and just, just thinking about this, these realities a little bit more, you know, in a little bit more focused way, Hales, I, I wonder if you could tend to, you talked about the, the paralyzed by overwhelm. And one of the things that we talk about in global immersion all of the time now is that the need for the interior development, the contemplative life to, to sustain us and to continue to move us forward. Um, and uh, I wonder if you could offer some commentary about like, how do we, what do we do now? How do we do that well in this moment? And then John, what, what if, what if you offered some thoughts around how we bridge difference, you know, um, as, as th this year, so much of our emphasis, especially this fall has been on conflicted allegiance and the differences theologically and politically that have, that have distanced people. Um, how do we, how do we mend that divide? How do we bridge difference right now? And then um, maybe I'll offer some commentary on how we tend to interrupt in relationships uh, and, uh, and how we might actually do some repair um, as interpersonal peacemakers uh, here as 2020 comes to a close. So how's that sound? Hales, you want to jump in with some, some interior work, some contemplative work? Yeah, definitely. I've been thinking a lot about this, and I think that we've gone through this on the podcast before, but just um, maybe to as a refresher course is that we have these four practices for everyday peacemaking that we base a lot of our trainings and a lot of um, our practices around, and they're see, immerse, contend, and restore. And our C practice, we typically say that everyday peacemakers see the humanity, dignity, and image of God in others or in everyone or something like that. I should probably know the exact wording. And I've been thinking a lot about that and reframing it as in a contemplative peacemaking um, perspective. And it's just the subtlest of tweaks, but I've been thinking in my head that contemplative peacemakers see the humanity, dignity, and image of God in themselves. Mm -hmm. 
And that, that really is the beginning of the contemplative journey. And I just imagine if everyone saw themselves the way that God sees them, how different our presence in the world would be and how much more compassion I think we'd have for ourselves when we hit those moments of overwhelm. Like I think I earlier described myself as a high capacity person. And so when I hit my threshold, it te- it says to me things, lies about myself. Like I should have an unlimited capacity, but like, where does that come from? And so I think if people can take some time to to ask themselves these three questions um, that will hopefully help you see the humanity, dignity, and image of God in yourself, that that won't necessarily increase your capacity, although maybe it will, and it won't necessarily keep you from overwhelm, um, but perhaps it would give you more compassion for yourself when you hit your own capacity, when you reach areas Mm. of overwhelm. Um, And so my three questions are, how have you been taught to see yourself? How have you been taught that God sees you? And how would your presence in the world be different if you saw yourself as and even believed yourself to be a divine image bearer of God? Hmm. So how have you been taught to see yourself? How have you been taught that God sees you? And how would your presence in the world be different if you saw yourself and actually believed yourself to be a divine image bearer of God? And so I can't necessarily know where those questions will take people um, or what revelations might be revealed through reflecting on those. But I think that they're a really good place to start um, as we learn to cultivate that interior life of an everyday peacemaker. When you ask those questions of, of yourself and of all of us inviting us into it, Hales, how do you imagine us doing that? I mean, what's the, what's the tangible way that we set ourselves up to actually ask those questions with the kind of intentionality and space to wrestle through them and process them? Well, I think everyone processes and reflects really differently. I mean, my first thought is is journaling, is like just taking out some time, finding a cozy, the coziest place in your house, writing those questions down, and then and then like free start, like free form, just writing everything that comes to your mind. That's how I would do it. But I also um, I also think that you could take just one of them at a time out on a walk with you. A lot of times we think and reflect well when we're walking because there's something about that bilateral stimulation of the left right walking that kind of unlocks this creativity in our brain so if you're more of an active person you can take one of these questions at a time and just walk outside and ask the spirit to draw you or reveal to you Mm -hmm. kind of truths about those Um, And perhaps if there's someone, like if you're much more of an external processor, if there's someone that you really trust, someone you can be really vulnerable with, then you can sit with them and say, hey, these are questions I'm thinking through. Can I talk them out with you? There's something that you said as well that I I just want to raise up. You basically said, I don't know if this will grow your capacity. And, um, 
And I, I actually think that's, that's really liberating. I, I, you know, like, I think we're in this moment in time where like everybody's just looking for such the, the, the quick solution to overwhelm the quick slash solution to X, Y, and Z. Uh, Cause we all want out of the chaos and, and this or that. I think what you're inviting us into is, um, is a slow, steady, lifelong practice rhythm journey that over time, I imagine, uh, we'll start to believe that we're the beloved and then that will begin to shape the way that we view the other person in front of us. Exactly. You know? And so it's like the, the, the link between my ability to understand my belovedness and see yours is so intimate and it, it probably takes a lifetime to just slowly cultivate one day at a time, one moment at a time. hundred percent. Would you agree with that? Yeah. I was going to like, has that been your experience? I think so. Yeah. And, and I often come back to Jesus talking about, you know, the greatest commandment, love the Lord, your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and closely followed by love your neighbor as yourself. And the way, and I see that as a balance of, of being and doing the loving God is the focus on being, cause it's this reciprocal love. It's this, this, um, it's not just a one directional, I love God. It's I love God and I learn how to receive the love of God. And when we do that, the natural outpouring is the loving of our neighbor. Mm -hmm. So when we see our belovedness in ourselves, that outpours into our ability to see the belovedness in others. Hey, Els, I, I love the way you're talking about this deep practice and the importance of our ability to not only see the humanity, dignity, image of God in our other or everyone, but starting with ourselves, because that informs how we see uh, the, the humanity, the dignity, the image of God in those around us. And as we're talking about the need to bridge differences in this moment, it, 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 it falls in line with our second practice, which we call immerse. And we define this immerse practice as stepping off the road of comfort and into reality. It's moving toward the conflict, moving toward the difference, moving toward the injustice. It's a very proactive verb that requires we get close, even if it's just in our understanding of our other or our enemy. And uh, I, I, I want to go to Matthew 5, because Jesus' teaching here goes even beyond the passage you just mentioned, Hales, in that he, he invites us as followers of Jesus, not only to love God and love neighbor, but to love enemy, which is a very, very provocative teaching in the context of, uh, of religious history. And it's a unique contribution we have in our Christian tradition that gives us tools to bridge these differences because uh, our enemy uh, is, is not only someone that we have to pander to or someone we have to be fearful of. It's Jesus is saying something about loving them. What does that look like? Martin Luther King Jr. in his sermon, Loving Your Enemies, would argue that Jesus was very intentional about using the word love our enemies rather than like our enemies. He would say, it's actually not possible to like everyone, especially when you're talking about big systems of injustice. It'd be irresponsible for us to call everyone to like each other and it'd be shallow. But he says, we are called to love everyone because everyone is worthy of love. Everyone is a divine image bearer, as you've been saying, Hales. And so what's what is the, the journey that we need to go on to grow our capacity where we can actually immerse into our differences, into our disagreements, and love the person on the other side of our empathy, as Oshita Moore would say? I, this quote that she offers, I think, is so 
helpful for this moment. She says, your enemy is the person who is right on the other side of your empathy. Your enemy is the person that you would look at and say, I would never do that. How dare they? And so if we're to be peacemakers in this moment who are, are bridging difference and, and embodying this immersed practice, I want to invite us into two tangible next steps. One, let's examine the construct of enemy we've received. I think a lot of us have, have placed this label of enemy on people that may not inherently need to be our enemies. Enemy is a social construct that we have said is true, but we aren't born to be enemies necessarily. So we have a choice, as our friend Dayud Nasser, a Christian Palestinian, would say, I refuse to be enemies. As a follower of Jesus, I refuse to be enemies with you. And so who have we chosen to demonize and to other and to make our enemy because it's convenient to us? Secondly, what is the journey of understanding and learning about that quote-unquote enemy that we can go on? How do we close that gap between us and them? Just in our own learning, not necessarily about, you know, sitting next to someone at the park, but let's think about those people we disagree with in this last political election. Let's think about those people at our church that we can hardly handle hearing their interpretation of the Bible. Let's think about those family members who are driving us insane with conspiracy theories. What are ways that we can learn about them, immerse into their stories, read the books, listen to their podcasts, observe their social media without commenting back, and see how that begins to shape and reshape even our understanding of who our enemy is and what's the, the journey I need to go on personally to be better at loving them? So, Jer, uh, with that all said, you know, as we're thinking about uh, the reality of the last, especially six months in this political season, there are actual broken relationships. <laughs> it's not just about bridging difference. There are broken relationships that need mending. What is that journey, and is it a journey that we can pull off? Is there a journey back to relationship with those that we've othered? Yeah, right on. I, I mean... I think our, our work has taken us into uh, the lives of, of countless folk uh, from, um, from spouses and partners to families to um, faith leaders uh, onto university campuses into cities and city leaders. And um, I think one of the things that we're recognizing is the, just the brokenness in, in interpersonal relationships, these, these relationships that have previously been very valuable. Uh, but now because of um, some of the fragility of this time, uh, have have become interrupted, and one of the things that we're recognizing is uh, is that people are are actually growing in their capacity to metabolize interrupted relationships. And in other words, um, we're we're giving ourselves uh, permission to not actually contend for the re the restoration of those relationships. Um, in, in our work, contending, uh, we we always say we don't get even; we get creative in love. And uh, contending is a it, it's a it's a way of um, of creative and costly and often collaborative love. It's, uh, it's a commitment that we make uh, to, not, to, to not metabolize things that are broken, but actually be moved into merciful action to go for it, uh, to be a part of, of restoring what's broken uh, among us. I think I would say right now in this moment in time that interpersonal peacemaking might be the most radical embodiment of the gospel that, that there is. And it's very difficult uh, because uh, because of the restrictions of the pandemics, there are broken relationships in our lives, and it's hard right now because we can't necessarily uh, find ourselves around a table with that person. We we don't have the same capacity to spend the amount of time that maybe we did in a non-pandemic um, moment. But it, that doesn't mean that we don't prioritize 
the contending for the restoration of that relationship. I think Jesus actually speaks to how important it is that we contend for the restoration of broken relationships in Matthew 5, um, where in the Sermon on the Mount, he's talking about um, uh, he's talking about how if we're engaged in the work of the, the, the practice of worship, like a formal worship ritual, and we recognize that there is an interrupted relationship, the most important thing that we do is we stop our ritual of worship and we contend for the restoration of that relationship. We do everything that we can possibly do uh, to work with that person toward, uh, toward oneness and unity. And uh, as a matter of fact, I think Jesus would lift up interpersonal peacemaking in this regard uh, as an act of worship. It's the way that we love God. And, uh, and then I think we see in, in the end of, uh, of Jesus' time on the planet uh, how, how he put it into, into practice. Now, obviously, there's an interrupted relationship between he and Peter. Peter just got done denying Jesus and the existence of the relationship three times. Um, I think it's interesting that in this time, Jesus, who knows that the relationship is interrupted, pursues Peter. Uh, and, and then he pursues him on purpose. He doesn't just get close to him and treat him with polite indifference. He actually gets close to him on purpose and begins to engage in the conversation about what it was that happened. Uh, he contends for uh, the restoration of the, of the relationship with Peter and then commissions Peter forward to be about the work of, uh, of peacemaking internally, interpersonally, and systemically moving forward. The one practice of contend that, that I want to lift up is this idea of proximity in this moment in time. Um, friends, how do we, um, despite the, the, the restrictions put, us, uh, put on us by the pandemic, how do we use the tools that are already in our hands to prioritize the unity, to prioritize restoring broken relationships, whether it's Zoom technology, using, uh, using text messaging, finding a way to walk in a physically distanced way, the, 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 the restoration of relationships uh, has to be such a priority for us in this time uh, that we will get creative in love here and now. And so find a way to get proximate to, to that person and contend for the restoration of that relationship. I feel myself like looking forward to listening to this and rewinding and going through each one of these again and take and jotting down these practices because I feel like they're all really necessary as we reflect on 2020 and look forward to 2021. My hope is that is that though everyone listening can really mark this specific moment of ending 2020 that isn't an arbitrary um, December 31st into January 1 that that it can actually mark something really significant like really putting a bookend on 2020 and intentionally starting 2021 on a new foot or on a renewed in a renewed step. And just a little side note, I actually kind of more celebrate the Lunar New Year, which is like middle of February. And I do that because Christmas rolls into like New Year's like so fast that oftentimes it'll be like middle or end of January. And I'm like, oh, no, I'm so exhausted and I miss the New Year. And now there's no point, And I just like blaze through the year. And I once I started kind of seeing Lunar New Year as the new year, it gave myself some time to breathe at the beginning of January and then have my reflection time in February. So just a little, if anyone else it feels that kind of turning it off and turning it on end of December, beginning of January is way too quick of a transition, I would encourage you to um, give yourself a little bit of space 
but to really try to mark the end of this year and who you want to be moving into 2021 um reflecting back on 2020 and thinking like what did you learn about yourself what did you learn about your relationships what did you learn about your community and this country and what is the presence that you want to be in 2021 how are you going to creatively approach your interior care and your interior life how are you going to creatively approach bridging differences how are you going to creatively approach interrupted relationships and and where you where specifically and I think that's really important where are you specifically being called to bring healing and pursue wholeness in your context so I just want to end by kind of commissioning us to and asking like where where can we how can we be the hope that reaches beyond divides in 2021 may we be the hope that reaches beyond divides in 2021 and i want to send us out here with a song um, that was actually written by my husband it's called mending the divides and i think it's a really appropriate soundtrack for uh, this upcoming year so signing off for 2020 and we'll see you all again in the new year So